I believe this generation, this upcoming generation, needs to hear what uh, we're going to dive into a little bit today. Those of you who are left with me, you're stuck. Sorry, but you have the right to leave at any time. Um, I'm going to go just a little longer than normal today, and, uh, but, but no, no fear. Next week, Colonel Bob Lewis is going to be bringing the word, and uh, he told me, he's like, I'm usually 20 to 25 minutes, but I can go 40 if you want. I was like, no, 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 they'll, they'll appreciate a short message next week. But if the Lord takes over, you have the freedom to do what you wish. But next week, we're going to honor veterans. The week after that, we're excited. Our good friends and missionaries from Costa Rica, they're in town, and they will be, um, they will be speaking, and Adam will be speaking a word uh, the week after next. Then we have baptisms, pastor appreciation celebration, all kinds of stuff. We're excited. It's a good season. But today, I'm going to do my very best to try to offend you. So... Okay, so hopefully I don't uh, because the Bible said blessed are those who are not offended But I do want to do a disclaimer We are going to dive into some very controversial political views and topics today All right, so here's the deal um, Was pretty set on a message, had prepared one for this week And then I watched a message by um, Gary Hamrick from Cornerstone Chapel in Virginia and it really inspired me to dive in and do similar to what he did. And that is not to remain silent on the things at hand in our culture right now. Okay? So, today, here's the deal. Here's kind of the ground rule work and the rules for today. You have a right to disagree as much as I have a right to disagree with you. Your ideologies, your values, your opinions, even parts of your theology. But what we don't have a right to do is dishonor one another. And, and also to really be offended. We can agree to disagree, but I am going to give you my stance, my personal views and, and opinions and feelings on different moral issues and things that we're facing in society, as well as political agendas. I'm also going to probably speak on behalf of our church in most of these areas, okay? So if you decide to leave the church because you don't line up, we bless you and we thank you. All we ask is just do it with some class and let us know you're going to leave. Just meet with us. Have some courtesy. Have some honor to actually uh, be relational with us and tell us why you're leaving. We'll bless you. It'll be amazing. And we're not afraid of that because I fear the Lord more than I fear you. And I also want to please the Lord more than I want to please people. And I'd rather Holy Spirit be here than a bunch of people be here. So at the risk of not losing any of that and hopefully not losing people, I'm willing to take this and swing for the fences. So here's the deal. Paul, in his letters, Ephesians, Corinth, you know, all these different letters uh, of Ephesus and Rome and all these things, Paul was directing it to the church and oftentimes to the people of culture of that time. And many times it was letters of correction, letters of encouragement, letters of warning and caution to the things going on in their culture at the time, okay? There's a lot of churches and church leaders and people that are given these platforms, like myself, that aren't using them. I'm choosing to use mine today and give you the viewpoints from biblical perspectives and the absolute truth. How many believe the Word of God is the absolute truth? We, first and foremost, we are a church that believes the Holy Bible, the inspired Word of God, is the absolute truth and becomes our moral compass. There's a lot of people, a lot of believers out there even, and a lot of leaders that believe it's relative truth and it can change with time and culture. I believe this. It is the absolute truth of Jesus. It is the absolute truth of God. 
Therefore, coming from that are our moral values, our moral compass, okay? So the things that I'm speaking of today, it was what will best represent the Word of God, the absolute truth that drives us to what we view, how we feel, our ideologies, even our theologies of culture, okay? So today, I'm doing similar to what Paul did. I am confronting a church. I'm confronting our body here and maybe beyond for the things that we're facing in our culture and the things that are going on. And I'm not the first one to do this in faith. I'm not the first one to do this in history of confronting culture and maybe even opposing culture for what is right and true to the absolute truth in the Word of God. So let me show you this first history lesson in a video of some... uh, Ministries, ministers, and all through history of how political politics and biblical truths match and line up and engage each other. So check this video out. Were these men of God throughout history being too political? 1450 BC, Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of God's people, even calling down consequences when the king failed to comply. 870 BC, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, he challenged King Ahab and his advisors for their ungodly policies and practices. 29 AD, should John the Baptist have kept quiet rather than confronting King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, even though it cost him his ministry and even his life? 30 AD, when Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Was Jesus too political when he replied, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. 31 AD, were Peter and John getting political when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities who told them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus? 54 AD, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in such a way that it totally disrupted both business and politics in the region. 1775, In early America, would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the War for Independence? 1830. Be holy as God is holy. How political was Second Great Awakening preacher Charles Finney when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? 1954, was separation of church and state being honored when Dr. George McPherson Dougherty preached a sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? 1963, I have a dream. What about the civil disobedience of Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? Were all of these men of God being too political or Were they just being biblical? So political or biblical, what do you all think? Biblical. Biblical. I I think it's okay that we use um, our platforms, and I believe that it's a call uh, for us to do so. And I believe that it's it's actually, we're going to get all the lights on and uh, kind of adjust here, but it is a call to us, it's a mandate that the church, as well as those in leadership, and you, how many believe that every believer is a leader? It's this amazing thing that we get to engage. We'll get into that here in a minute. But 2020 has been difficult. How many would agree with that? 2020, it's like, it's, uh, it's been challenging. Nicole and I, we were discussing the other day, we do these vision boards every year. On uh, New Year's Eve, we, we do vision boards for the following year, and uh, we do it with our kids, and we clip different pictures and words and different things and make a vision board for the following year out of magazines and newspapers and different things. I said, man, I think I'm just going to take last year's vision board and just use it this year. 
She's like, why? Because nothing happened? I was like, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much nothing came true. Uh, it was like just 2020 smacked us in the face, and uh, like it was just crazy. But here's the deal. I believe that not just this year, but the last several years, and even maybe a couple decades, we have been faced with, with um, unprecedented times, and morality as well as Christianity has been under attack in America. And I believe it's been being diminished and we've been desensitized. Leprosy in the Bible is this condition that attacks your nerve system to eventually you can't feel anything. So through media, through culture, through all these various ways, we've been desensitized. And then our moral compass is changing because we're not relying on the absolute truth. So turn with me to Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19. It says this. This is what the Lord says. The prophet Jeremiah is saying, this is what the Lord says. He says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls, but you said we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet, but you said we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear, you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. How many believe that in recent times we've been at the crossroads? In America, we've been at the crossroads where Christianity in itself has been under attack. I would have never thought in a million years in a free nation founded on religious freedoms that people in various states of America right now would not be allowed to worship. That we could protest and even violently protest, but we can't worship out loud even in the streets or outside. There's things going on in states like California that are prohibiting people to gather and worship and practice our religious freedoms that are set forth in our founding documents. I would have never thought that. So we're at this crossroads, but yet it says he has appointed watchmen or prophetic people or people that actually are going to be involved and take part and engage. Let me, let me read this last thing here. And Sue referenced it in the first service, and now Amy, this service, not knowing I had it in my notes. 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he says this, I will hear from heaven... I will forgive their sin and what? Heal their land. You know, I, I don't want to do an injustice here. I don't want to water anything down. But at times, I want in this moment of time, in this crossroads, in this time, uh, uh, this place and time in our history, I want to replace the if Americans will, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I, God, will continue to love We'll continue to forgive. We'll continue to hear you and heal your land. I believe it's time for Americans to wake up. I, I love America. I, I, we have a heart for the nations. We have ministries in multiple nations. Um, but I love America, and I love thinking that we can reach those who are local, those who are national, and those international. And I believe we all have to go, always go in that mindset, no matter where you're at, where you're worshiping God, where you were born. I believe that. There was a mandate and a call. Reinhard Bunke, probably one of the greatest missionaries of all time, especially our time. And Reinhard Bunke, he was a German, born in Germany, and dedicated his life, heart, and soul to Africa. And saw millions upon millions upon millions, tens and hundreds of millions of people dedicate and give their lives to Jesus Christ in Africa. He decided that he was going to spend the rest of his life, and he just recently died a year or two ago, but he was going to spend his end years in America as an evangelist and a missionary to America. 
It's because we need it. America is at this crossroads, and, and we need this. And uh, so let me, let me just kind of go into the picture. There's a problem in America. But thankfully, we as believers, we get to be part of the solution. And there's this, there's this theory out there, this, this ministry, books that are written um, on the seven mountains. The seven mountain influence, the seven mountain prophecy, different things you'll see. And different ministers have, have, have held on to it and have kind of presented it. People, multiple people have written books on the same thing. And uh, guys like Johnny Inlow, guys like Lance Wall now, even Lauren Cunningham, they've presented this, this thing and this theory of the seven mountains. And here's a picture of it. It's basically summarizing that in our culture, in society, in America, and, and beyond, in nations, there's seven areas of influence, seven areas of cultural impact, them being business, government, family, religion, media, education, and arts and entertainment. This is an area that, in, in the presentation, is based on Joshua 1.11, take possession of the land the Lord God is giving you for your own. Through history, what happened was, especially during the shepherding movement, we got Christians, believers, we Christ followers got so fixated on Christ's return that we lost track and lost impact into the culture and the influences we can make impact in because we were locked up in churches waiting for God to return when he was saying, go people, go. We're saying, come Jesus, come, and he's saying, go people, go. So throughout a couple of decades and even almost a generation of believers, we lost influence and engagement into these cultures. So the theory and the idea is now that we engage in this culture. So we have informally here ordained business owners as pastors. Bruce Toll, I was with him. I was like, you're as much of a pastor as I am. You're impacting your employees, the people you buy from, your customers, and you're impacting. If you're a school teacher, you have a platform, you have a podium, and your ministry is a classroom. My wife, she's a stay-at-home mom, and that is not a second-class mantle or anointing. And her ministry, her first ministry, is our home is our children. She is discipling the most powerful disciples we'll ever have in our lives, our four little baby girls. These are the things. So in these areas, um, you get to make impact, one of them being government. And we're at a time and a place right now in this moment, literally within the next two days, that we get to be a part of it. We get to not only pray, not only uh, lean our hearts and intercede, we get to at times volunteer. We get to run for office if God calls us to do that. But all of us get to vote. There's two things we all get to do that we all have a mandate to do. And as Christ followers and believers, we should be doing. It's not something we could do. We should be. We are called to with a mandate to pray for those in leadership, those who rule over us. We are to pray for those in authority. We are to pray for our nation and nations. And we're also to vote. We are have a blessing to live in a nation, a democratic nation, where we get to be a part and vote. It is a privilege. So, I want to focus on government for just a little bit, and then we'll talk about some really controversial things and make it really fun for you and me. Government. Government was not this idea of the world. The government was actually an idea from God. And if you remember back even to the Old Testament, Moses is trying to lead the people. He's trying to have this influence, right? God's called him. He's put a mantle on him. Even he can't hardly speak, but he's, he's speaking, and he's speaking to the Israelites. And his father-in-law says, Moses, you can't do this alone. Moses, you have to delegate. You have to give up authority. You have to create a structure where, where it can be better and more successful than just yourself. You're doing too much. Then we fast forward. Paul talks about it. And Romans 13 is primarily focused on government and the structure of church and society. And let me just focus on this one verse for the sake of time. Romans 13, 4 says this. 
It says, for he, for the ruler, for leaders, for the rulers set above us, is, he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So government was set up primarily for two things. Two things, to cultivate good and also to punish evil to help prosper society. So two things. First off, to hold justice and hold just, be, you know, hold justice to those who need to be held just, okay? To bring evil out and to punish, but also to bring good out and let good prosper and reward good. That's government. It is a structure to facilitate. It's kind of like a river is meant to flow, and the banks help create the flow of a river, and without the banks, it becomes a swamp. It's good. Government is structure in the church. We have boards. We have elders, deacons. We have leadership. We have structures, right? We have accountability. And when somebody morally messes up, we, with love and truth, help them. All right? The same thing is when somebody's doing good and somebody's already doing a ministry, we promote that. We promote good. We create a culture of testimonies. And this morning, Nicole, I mean, she's not in here at the moment, but she comes up to Nicole, a young lady, says, I was just healed. I've been going through these pelvic issues, and I had a 90% chance that I would never be able to be the same and always have these issues. All of a sudden, God opened up my pelvis, and I felt it. I have no pain for the first time in how long? I forget. She's not in here, but there she is. There. She's praising. Come on out here. There she is. That was you. It's a testimony. God's doing good. Well, that's one of the things that government does. It, it accelerates and it, it brings out the good, but it punishes the evil. Now, I want to give you a lesson in history of American history, okay? I want, there's so many things that we reference and so many things that we hold on to. For instance, the phrase, the separation of church and state. Okay, I want, th this is again uh, Gary Hamrick, and this is actually an excerpt from his message that I totally stole, plagiarized. I'm just going to give him credit right now. I watched this, was inspired by this message to preach today and use this platform to no longer remain silent or stay by the wayside and use a voice for God and his righteousness and the absolute truth of his word, okay? So anyway, this is an excerpt from his message, and he describes the American history involvement in politics, spiritual freedoms, and the religious purpose of which America was founded. So why don't you check out this next video? The truth is that God has been at the center of our religious freedom, and faith and politics have been intertwined from the very beginning, from the founding of our nation in 1776, not 1619. Wake up. But 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was penned, listen to the various references to God in the Declaration of Independence. It starts with, quote, the laws of nature and nature's God in the first paragraph. It establishes that our, quote, unalienable rights come not from government, but from, quote, our creator. That's paragraph two. It appeals to, quote, the supreme judge of the world. That's the last paragraph. And then it invokes the protection of, quote, divine providence in the signature line of all 56 signers when they pledged to each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And then Congress actually instructed churches to read the Declaration of Independence from their steps so that everybody could hear across America. Churches were demanded by Congress to do such a thing. In fact, the false church, the Episcopal church, the, the old false church in false church, 
was one of those locations where in 1776 the Declaration of Independence was read from the steps of the church. That's how the news was dispersed in a day without social media. It was pastors who led the charge with the American Revolution to sever ties with Great Britain because of the oppression and tyranny of the government, in particular oppression and tyranny of religious freedom. Pastors led that charge. Pastors like Jonas Clark, who formed the Minutemen Militia in Lexington with 70 men from his congregation who fought against and defeated 700 British who marched against them in the first war, the Battle of Lexington, of the Re- in the first battle, the Battle of Lexington of the Revolutionary War, April the 19th, 1775. Then when the British were defeated in Lexington, they moved on to Concord, where they were met by William Emerson, the pastor of the church there, the grandfather of Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson, who summoned 300 of his men to fight against the British in Concord. Pastors like John Peter Mullenberg from Woodstock, Virginia, not too far from here, down 81, who on January the 21st, 1776, preached a message to his congregation from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The part about how there's a time for everything and a season for everything under the sun. When he got to verse 8 in Ecclesiastes 3, which talks about a time for peace and a time for war, John Peter Mullenberg said to his people, this is no longer a time for peace. This is a time for war. And he removed his black clerical robe to reveal the officer's uniform in the Continental Army. And he walked to the back of his church and he said to his men, how many men are with me? We're going to fight. 300 of his men followed him out the door that day, and it formed the 8th Virginia Brigade in the Revolutionary War in the Continental Army. These are pastors leading the charge. Before James Madison became president, when he was running for the first Congress in 1789, he was running for the first Congress from Virginia, the 5th Congressional District. He met with some Baptists in Richmond. The Virginia Baptists held a convention. They sat down with James Madison and they said, listen, Madison, you will not get our votes unless you change your Federalist views and you write a Bill of Rights, especially to include in the First Amendment religious freedom. James Madison took their advice. He wrote the Bill of Rights, including Amendment number one, religious freedom. And that same year, 1789, he was elected from Virginia to the first Congress of the United States. Don't mess with the Baptists. (laughs) Friends, pastors and Christians have long been involved in government and politics. In George Washington's farewell address in 1796, He said, quote, religion and morality are indispensable supports of our political prosperity. So what went wrong? Why are so many pulpits and pews silent today? Quite honestly, I think because pastors have shirked their responsibilities and it has led to an anemic church in America. Well, what about the separation of church and state, Pastor G? Well, I'm glad you asked. The phrase, the separation of church and state, appears nowhere in our founding documents, not in the Declaration of Independence, nowhere in the Constitution, not in the Bill of Rights either. Nowhere. So where did it come from? In 1802, when Thomas Jefferson was president, he wrote a letter 
a personal letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in Danbury, Connecticut, in response to a letter that they had sent him requesting clarification about the First Amendment. So Jefferson in 1802 wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists and said to them, don't worry, the First Amendment is in place in order to protect you from any government intrusion or overreach. And in that letter, Jefferson wrote, quote, the phrase, building a wall of the separation of church and state. About 150 years later, after Jefferson had penned that amongst the volume of his personal letters, about 150 years later, it was used, in fact, twisted, to remove God from the public square and to remove the church from any government influence. When the fact of the matter is that the First Amendment was written not to keep the church out of government, but to keep the government out of the church. Wake up! Understand what is happening in our nation. Part of this is never, we need to be educated. We need to know what the truth is. We need to know what God's mandate is. And we all get a seat at this table. All right? It's not just for the pastors or, or the founding fathers. We as believers, every believer is a leader, and every believer has an influence. As I said in the Seven Mountains, you don't have to have a, P, uh, a theology or a seminary degree. Like, you get to share your story, and you get to stand up for righteousness, and you get to have a call on your life to stand up for biblical truths. And part of that is engaging in our culture, engaging in the area that God has placed you. Listen, your job is not just a job to get you money and provide an income for your family. Your job is a platform and a, and a place of influence that you get to engage culture and you get to be a part of it. I love Corey and I, we have coffee, and, and he talks about being in Morocco for, I think, seven years, right? And, and literally changing atmospheres and creating a business and doing these things and hosting teams to come out and bless Morocco, right? And now he's here, and God has a mandate and a calling for him here right now. And part of what he does is, is he, he makes the best chicken sandwiches on the planet at Chick-fil-A. And that is his ministry. And he's like, it was an adjustment, trust me. And he's like, it's definitely weird. But it is a ministry, and the people that he gets to have influence to and speak life to and, and give hope to and reveal God's goodness and love and power, this is something that we get to do. And it is a mandate, and it's part of that. We all get to be a part of Romans 13 and electing and voting for those who will have rule and authority over us. We get to engage government. Like, we are part of that. And even the Bible says, like, pay what Caesar's is Caesar's. And the whole chapter 13 of Romans is talking about us honoring and being a part of this. My kids once asked me, why do we pay taxes? Why do we got to pay all that money? Well, I like to drive on good roads. And I like to know that if I need something, the police are going to be there. And I myself am a firefighter, so part of my salary is given to, to me by, by taxpayers for us to protect and preserve life and property. All right. Also, I love uh, sleeping at night in a country to know that our military is defending us and fighting for us and keeping us free and for our religious freedoms. Amen. Now, so with all that said, though, we have to make sure we're not being emotional, that we're not voting based on, on opinion or preference or emotions, but that we are voting and we are engaging culture and we're using our platforms based on policies, procedures, and biblical values. And I'm going to clearly define where we stand on some things today, but we're not basing it on opinion or, or who I like more. 
Let me go to Ephesians 6.12. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are not voting on a person or personality. We are voting on a procedure and policies. That's what we have to keep. Listen, I, I love what Gary Hamrick says in his message. One of the things he says, he's like, listen, if it was based on personality, I'd probably vote for Biden because he's like the fun grandpa that would take you fishing. And Trump is like the guy that owns the charter boat that you use and makes fun of you when you don't catch any fish. That's the truth, right? They're both abrasive. They're, they're both a little out there. But I'm not voting on who I like and who, who I like their personality. I'm voting for who is going to have the agendas and those that best match politically to biblical principles, views, and morality. The absolute truth. And that's what we have to base on. Not just, not just voting, but also our engagement in society. We're oftentimes as believers waiting for the perfect candidate. The perfect politician who's righteous, who's a Christ follower, who, who, who does no wrong, who has the perfect leadership and political views. Guess what? He's coming again, and his name's Jesus, but that politician doesn't exist on earth right now. There's no such thing as a perfect politician or a perfect person that is going to uh, match Jesus Christ totally. It's not, it's not going to happen. One of the things I do like about Trump is if you saw his post-COVID uh, <laughs> interview, he's, he's just kind of ranting. At the end of that interview, if you didn't watch it all the way through, I didn't initially because I was like, oh, he's on another rant. But if you watch to the end, somebody says, and, and he basically accuses him of being the most famous person on earth. And he's like, no, let me correct you. I'm not the most famous person on earth. Jesus Christ is the most famous person on earth, and I don't even come close to that. I like the, the ideologies and the policies and the procedures that have happened over the last several years that are shifting culture. Now, let me, let me get into political party affiliation. <laughs> this is great to talk about in church. Typical, typically, political affiliation is passed down from generation to generation. Now, I've got an analogy to NFL football teams here, Okay. I'm a Browns fan because my dad's a Browns fan. Yeah, it's a good year to be a Browns fan. But the past 25 years has stunk or more. It's been terrible. And now I know why my brother switched and, and got away from the family lineage of being a Browns fan from my dad, okay? Because he just realized it early on. But this year, I, I believe we have some bragging rights so far. But here's the deal. My grandpa was, was a, a registered Democrat. My grandpa was a pastor. I'm a third-generation pastor, and he was a Democrat. My dad initially was a Democrat. My dad now holds office as a Republican for the Miami County, as a Miami County commissioner, all right? Because here's the thing, party affiliation, things have changed. We do not live in the Franklin Delano Roosevelt era anymore. We don't live even in the John F. Kennedy era anymore, or even for that matter, the Bill Clinton era anymore. Do you know that Bill Clinton voted in and made a law out of a bill from Congress to sanctify marriage as between a man and a woman, but in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed it? We don't live in that era anymore. There are things at stake here that we have to stand up for, and, and it's not, it's not, it is associated to political parties. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you five uh, of the platform statements, all right, from a political party. And what we're going to do, just for fun, at the end of each statement, I'm going to give you, there's five categories, and I want you to say if that's a biblical perspective or not. Which is the most 
and that's the thing to, keep, to use here for politicians, politics, and ideologies. What most aligns with the absolute truth of the word of God, okay? First one we're going to go for is religious freedom, okay? So, first one, we value the right of America's religious leaders to preach and Americans to speak freely according to their faith. We believe the federal government, specifically the IRS, is constitutionally prohibited from policing or censoring speech based on religious convictions or beliefs. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs and rights of conscience of all Americans and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. The next party says this. We celebrate America's history of religious pluralism and tolerance and recognize the countless acts of service of our faith communities, as well as the paramount importance of maintaining the separation of church and state enshrined in our Constitution. Statement one or statement two would most align with biblical truths. One, that's the Republican Party. Democratic Party obviously has not read the Constitution or checked out Gary Hamrick's message that the separation of church and state is never mentioned in the Constitution. Next one, marriage and sexuality. First statement, we will fight to enact Equality Act, the Equality Act. We will work to ensure LGBTQ plus people who are not discriminated against when seeking to adopt or foster children, protect LGBTQ plus children from bullying and assault, and guarantee transgender students access to facilities on their gender identity. We will ensure that all transgender and non-binary people can procure official government identification documents that accurately reflect their gender identity. Next statement. Foremost among those institutions is the American family. It is the foundation of civil society, and the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage and a union of one man and one woman. We oppose the imposition of a social cultural revolution upon the American people by wrongly defining sex discrimination, reshaping our entire society to fit the mold of ideology alien to America's history and traditions. Which one would most, most represent Genesis and the definition that God gives for marriage between a man and a woman? Biblical truths. It would, <laughs> it would actually uh, be two. Camilla Harris, she boasts about conducting and performing the first uh, same-gender marriage officially in California. Joe Biden, in his town hall meeting, said it is acceptable and absolutely okay for an 8 to a 10-year-old to pick their gender preference at that young of an age. Okay, Facebook, up to recently, had 70 options for gender identification. We have to wake up. There has to be a protection of the protection and sanctity of marriage and the holistic family of a man and a woman. Okay, economy. Let's move on. Repu uh, let's, I'll switch it up here. First statement. Government cannot create a prosperity. Though government can limit or destroy it, prosperity is the product of self-discipline, enterprise, saving, and investment by individuals, but not as an end in itself. Next statement. We will forge a new social and economic contract with American people, a contract that creates millions of new jobs and promotes shared prosperity. Which one would reflect biblical teachings? One, socialism would be that second statement. And the Lord talks over and over throughout Scripture uh, that essentially nothing's free, that, that hard work is rewarded, okay? He talks about even the cost of our sin was the cross, Okay, and he even says at one point, the poor will always be among us, but there is a reward, and we have a mandate as Christ followers to care for the poor. All right, but it is not this socialism, this platform where everybody's equal. No, there, there is a wages of sin, it's death, all right? Just because you're in existence doesn't mean you get that. You have to accept it and receive it, and it is a free gift, and it is amazing, and the Lord is really good, all right? But hard work does pay off, and it is rewarded biblically. Israel. 
Let's move along quickly here. We recognize the worth of every Israeli and every Palestinian. That's why we will work hard to help bring to an end the conflict that has brought so much pain to so many. We support a negotiated two-state solution that ensures Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state and recognize borders and upholds the right of Palestinians to live in freedom and security in a viable state of their own. Next one. Beyond our mutual strategic interest, Israel is likewise an exceptional country that shares our most essential values. It is the only country in the Middle East where freedom of speech and freedom of religion are found. Therefore, support for Israel is an expression of Americanism, and it is the responsibility of our government to advance policies that reflect America's strong desire for a relationship with no daylight between America and Israel. Our party is proud to stand with Israel now and always, which would reflect biblical values. The second one, the Republican view again. Trump has been the only president in history to declare Jerusalem not only as the capital, but place our embassy there. Creating a line in the sand that we value Israel and we value Jerusalem. Now, if you don't know the history of this and why we as Christians need to understand this and know why we need to be in alignment with and protect and be uh, an ally and actually love Israel, you need to get in your word and maybe attend some of Steve Justice's Bible studies because it's imperative that we do that as believers. Last one, life. This one we hold dear here, and this one we have a lot of uh, ladies in our congregation who have had abortions. We have seen the devastation. We hear the testimony. Sue Justice is one that her story has been publicized, and uh, it's an amazing story of redemption after choosing a mistake. And it's this, it's this glorious, beautiful testimony of her life now, and uh, she serves her life now to try to help others and to dedicate herself to others making the same mistake she did. It's this beautiful story. Uh, Christy has publicly shared her story, and we love them, all right? And let me just be very clear on this. If you don't agree, we still love you. If you don't think any of this is, is, is for you, we still love you, all right? This is where we stand. This is where I personally stand. And one of them being the sanctity of life, including the unborn. Here's the two statements. The Constitution's guarantee that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, and property deliberately echoes the Declaration of Independence proclamation that all are endowed by their creator with an inalienable right to life. According... We assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. Next statement. We will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices and federal judges who will respect and enforce foundational precedents, including Roe versus Wade. We believe every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We oppose and will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to women's reproductive health and rights. Which one reflects biblical truths and foundations? First one. And Trump has been the only president that has participated in a walk for life in history. Now listen. There's a party summary. We can clap. Yes, to life, to the unborn. <clears throat> we love people, all right? But there are fundamental things that we believe that the Bible is very clear on, and some of these statements would align most with a biblical view, all right? So, but here's the deal with the Democratic and the Republican Party. It is no longer a Democratic Party representing the working class and a Republican Party representing the wealthy, 
All right? There are things on the agendas. There are things that are morally wrong. And there are things that are being pushed through. And we as believers need to engage and make sure we're supporting not just the party, but the people running on behalf of those parties to get into office to make sure Christianity as a whole is protected and that those values that are biblical truths are protected. And those things are, are part of our kids and our kids' as kids and our kids' as kids' as kids' life and upbringing and inheritance. This is the crossroads that we're at, and this is where we are. Now, now listen, I want to just end with this, and, and Ashley and the others can come. It is important that we engage, all right? We can engage um, through prayer, obviously. All of us have two, at least two mandates minimum, maybe beyond. I keep trying to talk Nicole into running for some stuff, and she's like, no way. I was like, you need to run for school board. Nope. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one of these days. But here's the deal. We have these as you walk out. All right, they're voter guides. If you have not voted, and maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I'm not going to vote because they're both idiots. Okay, first off, that's disrespectful, okay, to either one. We are to respect authority, we respect those that are set above us, and we respect offices, okay? So don't be like that. The other thing, a no vote is a vote. Well, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, get educated, and including so many people, even, even African Americans have, have often associated with one part or the other. You've got to do your research of who is actually biblically sound and biblically true and, and to the, the absolute truth. And in, in, in August or so, I spoke a message on the Black Lives Matter, and listen to that message. Listen to, to some of the roots of the organization that's aligned with the Democratic Party. They do not have African Americans' best interest at heart. Those that they're saying they're representing. Listen, the founder of Planned Parenthood said she wanted to abolish the African-American race. We have to engage and understand these things and get those in office who will protect black lives, who will protect, you know, all of the agendas that the Lord is, will is and what he wants. So today, if you're in Miami County, take this guide with you. And you can go vote at the Miami County Courthouse today until 5 o'clock and tomorrow from 8 to 2. And also your polling station on Tuesday in person. You can do this. You can even pull up, call or text a number, and they come out and bring you your voter thing and let you vote from your car. It's never been easier. As of last week, 70 million people had already early voted. Last election four years ago was the most in history, and they were at 7 million. Like, people are passionate right now. The most Googled thing right now, and it's because people did not have education. People did not know what they were really getting into and dive deep and have a guy like this saying what's right and wrong in front of them, and they early voted. So the most Googled thing last week and the week before was, how do I change my vote? In multiple states in the Midwest, the top Google search, how do I change my vote? We have to be prepared. We have to engage in culture. Paul did it. Every time he's writing these letters to the churches in the New Testament, he was engaging culture and saying, hey, look out for this. Do this. Don't do this. That's all today is. So Ephesians 5, 8 through 17 says this. I think the band's going to come, right? Okay. Ephesians 5, 8 through 17. Because I'll just keep talking. And we're way past time. So it kind of gives me that nudge. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're up here. I better hurry up. Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light, and the Lord, in the Lord, live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed to light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes the light. I love the version that says what's done in the dark will be revealed in the light. How many have seen that coming to pass the last three and a half years? You're seeing sex trafficking and human trafficking exposed and people being arrested. You're seeing that in the drug issues. You're seeing that in abortion. What's done in the dark is being revealed in the light because God has an agenda and it's really good and he loves America. This is why it is said, verse 14, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, now, what Paul's referencing here, he's referencing back to several times in Isaiah. Isaiah's talking to Jerusalem. He's talking to the Israelites. He's saying, wake up, sleepers. Wake up. And at times, you could almost replace sleepers with, like, wake up, idiots. The Bible says, call no man a fool. So I'm not doing that right now. But, like, we, at times, it says to be wise, not unwise, to know the truth, to know God's will, not our feelings or emotions. Isaiah 51, 52, 1 says this. This is one of the things he's re referencing. 52, 1 says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. It's time we as a church wake up. It's time we as believers wake up. It's time we as Christ followers wake up. It's time as we as Americans wake up. Why don't you stand with me? We are called to be the watchmen on the hour. And let me just say, a no vote is a vote for the other direction. I, I can't, like, legally tell you who to vote for. I only presented facts today. That's it. Biblical views and facts. I can't say, you, hey, everybody go vote for this person. I'm not doing that. But form your own conclusions and form your own wisdom as the Bible says, walk wise, not unwise. And when we know these truths, we have to engage. And if you've been frustrated by the things going on, do something about it. Compassion is empathy activated. Compassion means I'll do something. Sympathy says I'll feel bad for something. Compassion says I'm going to do something about it. And one of the things we get to do when we're frustrated by this or that, or we see this in America, or we see this happening, and we see this trajectory, that's what's at stake here. That's the crossroads. The trajectory where America may go, depending on this election and future involvement in, in politics. Am I good now? Today has been a technical struggle, <laughs> both services. I take it from a compliment from the enemy, I guess. So it is imperative that we engage. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd love for us to, to pray for America. I know the title that you'll see is pretty uh, strong. Uh, I believe it's called uh, America Wake Up So God Can Still Bless Us or something. I forget what we titled it, but... Um, the reality is God blesses America. God loves us. God doesn't punish. He's a good father. And if you don't know that, watch the previous 14 weeks of messages here, and you'll learn what sonship is and what being children and sons and daughters of God, the good father is. But there is a provision. There is a protection. There is a favor on America based on our original founding and the heart of why America exists. When we begin to step away from that, we begin to step away from God's will, and I'm just talking in general as Americans. 
then all of a sudden, at times we step out of that provision and protection and we walk on our own. And that's one thing we as believers and Christians get to do is walk back and, and take hold what's ours. We have a mandate to wake up and be a part of this and pray and vote and engage society. And I'm not just talking for this election. I'm not just talking about for Tuesday. I'm talking about the mandate that's on our lives to engage culture and influence those and those systems and those things around us. So what I'd love to do is just pray for America. Let's pray God continues to bless America and let's pray repentance for America. I wanna show this last vision. I'm glad I remembered. And I know we're super late today, but God's okay with it. Lunch will still be there just a few minutes later, okay? I, early on during COVID, I think it was around February, March, we began to pray. And I, I, at the time, thought everything was crazy. This is crazy. What, what is going on in America? Why are we doing this? I don't want to wear masks. You know, it's like, I, you saw the videos starting to happen in Asia and China. I'm like, this is ridiculous. We as Americans won't do this. We're land of the, home of the, land of the free home of the brave. Like, we're not going to do this. So... And prayer, with my family and I, I had this vision of the prodigal son in the hog pen. And the verse in the Bible says that he came to his senses, or he, one version says he came to himself. And I just saw that was America in a mess, and that we came to our senses and returned back to the Father for our given inheritance and identity. And let me just say, since then I've seen so many prophetic people and so many ministries saying, like, this is a prodigal situation. That's our prayer. Is that America, we, we as believers, we as Americans will come to our senses, return to the Father, and we receive our full inheritance. He has a robe for us. He has sandals of peace and purpose for us. He has, he has the insignia ring for us. Like, God loves America. He does. There's a place for us. There's a purpose for us, and there's a future. I believe God declares Jeremiah 29, 11 over us as Americans. He loves all nations, but I believe there's a special place in his heart for America, but we need to wake up. So, Lord, we just ask that we, just like the prodigal, we as Americans will return to the Father, to you, Jesus. We ask that we come to our senses and we, we come to our divine nature and our created selves. We come to our senses and we return to you, your home, your blessings, your favor, your celebration over us. Lord, we thank and we repent as a nation for any way we or others have turned away from you, that we have become desensitized to the, to the biblical truths of what you've called us as a nation to, of our, of our founding beliefs and our, uh, the very purpose why we're here for religious freedom and to glorify and worship and bless you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We ask for forgiveness, and we ask that you'll heal our lands. We bless this nation regardless of the outcome Tuesday. We bless this nation. We ask your blessing and your favor and a hedge of protection over us. And we do pray and we do intercede and we do petition that you put the right people in office to bring your will and your agendas forward and you protect and absolutely move forward your kingdom assignment here in America. We thank you, Jesus. We bless you. There's none like you. We trust you and we love you. We submit to you. We honor you and those around us. In Jesus' name. Ashley and the band are going to lead us, and we're going to close with one time through of God Bless America. How many believe that God still blesses America? He loves us. He's here for us. God bless you. Thank you. We love you.